Thanks for being a part of the Fearless Army. Drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and when you do, ask me a question in the comments. Each week, we'll compile your best questions and answer them on air. Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I'm Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Thursday. Thank you for joining me. <laughs> we got an interesting, delicate show uh, to get into today. Uh, Steve Kim's going to join us. Brett Favre, Warren Sapp. Uh, Jacob the Clipper. Jacob the Clipper, he's a uh, social media content creator who's put out some interesting content about the NBA, but he's going to help us talk about the NBA, but also the topic we're going to go into uh, in depth today, and it's gonna, I'm going to try to thread the needle and talk about gambling and its impact on sports, and this topic is coming up because of all the conversation about these Taylor Swift conspiracy theories. I've been getting emails, Jason, don't you realize sports are fixed, and, and we got to have this conversation because... I don't think the Super Bowl is fixed, but I do want to address uh, the elephants in the room. And so uh, <laughs> you guys know me. If you've followed this show, listen to this show, you guys know uh, I come from a gambling family that, you know, as a young boy, <laughs> I was introduced to gambling. I can't say it's the greatest thing I've ever been introduced to, but I do. I have to say the Whitlocks, we gamble. Uh, if you know anything about Indianapolis or if I, I, numbers runners or whatever, we, we call pea shake houses, things like that. Uh, I've been familiar with since I was a little kid. If you've watched this show, you know, Prize Picks is one of our sponsors and my mother likes to play Prize Picks and now Prize Picks is available right here in Tennessee. And so I'm able to uh, play prize picks. And so, and so I, we're going to have an authentic, uh, transparent conversation about sports and whether they're under the influence uh, of gambling. It's going to be an interesting show. And so where I want to start first is because I don't want anybody saying, oh, Whitlock, he's saying all this about gambling. And then they he transitions into a promo of prize picks. Now, I'm going to transition into promo of prize picks right now. <laughs> uh, and we're going to keep it real. Uh, if you'd like to play daily fantasy sports, prize picks is probably the best place to do it. It's the most exciting way to play. Uh, if you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. With the basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from a different sport or league. My mom sent me some of her Super Bowl picks uh, for uh, Prize Picks. She's selecting for next week's big game. Uh, Debo Samuel, D Debo Samuel, more than 57 and a half receiving yards. Travis Kelsey, great bet, more than 69 and a half receiving yards. 
And Isaiah Pacheco, more than 65 and a half rushing yards. Go to prizepicks.com slash fearless. Use the promo code fearless for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash fearless and use the code fearless. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Some of our audience has been sending me emails all football season about prize picks. I done kept it real with you. I like to gamble. I don't gamble nearly as much as I used to, but I like to gamble. I don't see it as a sin. I don't risk money that I don't have. My mother just does it for fun. It's, it's, but I don't want to live in the denial that gambling's influence on the sports world is what's driving all of this conversation about Taylor Swift and whether it's some sort of conspiracy for the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl so she can elevate her profile and, and she can help Joe Biden win re-election. That part, the whole election, elevate Taylor Swift's profile, that part, I just don't buy. I just don't, but I know what's driving that conversation. And it's the sports world's partnership with the gambling industry. That, that's what the conversation over the last five years as DraftKings and prize picks and all the other, uh, what is it called? Uh, FanDuel, all the other gambling get so immersed and so uh, influential in these sports leagues that people now are constantly talking about the point spread and refereeing and our games. And again, you heard me argue earlier this week, I don't think games are rigged. I think they're influenced. And I think that's about the point spread rather than wins or losses. But if I'm willing to go that far, how can I laugh at or, or diminish the people that's like, nah, man, if, if they'll influence the point spread, they'll influence the outcome of a game. I get it. It's, it's a natural thought. And, and for people to, to have that and to people to be emailing me and reaching out to me over social media and, and saying, Whitlock, man, uh, take the covers off your eyes. You sound naive. You, you sound silly. Of course, the games could could be rigged. Of course, the outcomes of games could be severely influenced to the point of fixing games. And we've had that in our history, obviously. And, and this whole Taylor Swift deal has just put more emphasis on it. And we have to ask our Tim from Tim Donahue, the NBA ref that came out uh, years ago and, and squealed on the NBA and, and made these allegations that NBA games, certain refs are sent to manipulate NBA games. He talked about it, said he was involved in it. We keep seeing uh, athletes now get busted. I think there was some either former LSU player or LSU player that, that just got busted uh, for betting on games, I think involving LSU. And now, just yesterday, uh, it was announced that LeBron James has signed a partnership with DraftKings. LeBron James, arguably, perhaps inarguably, the biggest star in all of sports 
is now signed a deal with DraftKings where he will make football picks. Won't make basketball picks, but he will make football picks. And so what we've done, because I'm, I'm going to talk about my experience 30 years ago as a college athlete, as a football player at Ball State. Again, this is in the 80s. And maybe I was naive, and may, but I never once paid any attention to the point spread of a Ball State football game. It never crossed my mind. And I was the one guy that every day I was known for bringing the newspaper into the locker room because I read the sports page every day. Everybody knows that about it. They used to make fun of me. What like brings the newspaper? And, and I was very protective of it. I would lock it up in my locker because guys would try to steal it or whatever. But I never once paid attention to the point spread of a Ball State football game. At that time, I don't even think I paid attention just to point spreads in general. It didn't cross my mind. The moment that, not the moment, but a few months after I played my last football game, at Ball State, I, I can't remember the guy's first name. It may have been Danny or whatever, but he was a Ball State student, the guy from northern Indiana part. He was a bookie on campus, and we would get those uh, parlay cards. And I remember me, as soon as I was done playing, I started playing parlay cards with Danny. And I, again, I never thought about it while I was playing. Then I start working as a bouncer at the popular bar, the Chug, and everybody's playing the parlay cards. And I used to try to play, you know, it was way, you spend 10 bucks and you pick 10 games and you win 1,500 bucks or whatever. Not that I ever did, won it, but that was always the dream of the college kid or whatever. And so I, I started paying attention to it then. But I still never looked at a Ball State point spread. It just wasn't relevant to me. And so now we're in this era because gambling is everywhere. The athletes, even a LeBron James, they're thinking about the point spreads. And now the athletes in college, they're making so much money. And, and you know what? Once you start making a little money, you want to make a little more. And once you make a little more, you want to make a little more. And then once you make a little more, you want to make a lot. And so... You have college athletes now that have discretionary income, could be as much as, or as little as $30,000, could be as much as three hundred dollars or 500000 or millions of dollars. What does a young person think? Well, I can take this thirty dollars and turn it into fifty dollars if I do X, Y, and Z. I can take this $500,000 and turn it into a million if I do X, Y, and Z. And gambling is now everywhere in the sports world. And so our athletes are more prone than previous generations because of the flood of money and because of the flood of gambling to be more prone and more susceptible. And I had a college coach, a prominent college coach, tell me last summer about name, image, and likeness and all the headaches it was causing and all the access it was giving gamblers to athletes because, again, the universities aren't really running the name, image, and likeness deals that the athletes are signing. Th these businesses, and again, a lot of business owners 
are gamblers. Men, gamblers, hell, my mother's a woman. Gamblers. And they now have direct access to college athletes. And they're funneling them money. And if that business person wants to special insight into, hey, what's going on with the team? Who's injured? Who's, who's not? Who's, who's playing well? What are the coaches thinking? Who may get benched? Who may be starting? Now the gamblers have direct access to the college athletes. This is a recipe for destruction. This is a recipe for corruption. And you, you take someone like LeBron James, who's made a ton of money. He's got friends, families, people close to him that always, no matter how much money LeBron makes, no matter how much money uh, he gives away, there's always somebody that wants more. And so could LeBron James, again, with his access, he's going to be giving out football picks. He's best friends with all the top NFL players all over the country. Is he now someone that, hey, I'd like a little inside information on what's going on with Dallas. I may bet the Dallas game. Let me call Micah Parsons. I'm just speaking all in hypotheticals. Hey, I, hey, uh, Patrick Mahomes, what's going on with, with y'all? And again, they don't even, he doesn't have to call him under the pretense of I'm betting on the game. It's just in casual conversation. He may find out who's hurt, who, who's going to be inactive, what some of the stress might find out. All of this, the gambling influx is just all a recipe for chaos. And that's why so many people now are having a legitimate conversation about, are these games rigged? And, and they are looking at people like me who are saying, like, there's no way they could rig this Super Bowl. There's no way they would do it. They couldn't do it. They don't need to do it. And people are like, Whitlock, you're a clown. You're very naive. And, and part of me is like, maybe I am. Because one of the things I've been arguing for the last 10 years, I've said it publicly, I've written about it, that sports, all of these from professional and college, all they are are television shows. That, that's all they are. The NFL is just a popular TV show. It's the Cosby show, it's MASH, it's Dynasty, it's Dallas, it's Game of Thrones. It's just a television show that the networks put out to draw ratings and to sell pharmaceuticals or whatever, whoever else is buying advertising on TV. And so if they have to manipulate the script in order to drive more ratings, to please Big Pharma and their other sponsors. Why wouldn't they? If, if, if a television show would say, you know what? <clears throat> uh, you know, I, I like the way y'all written up the TV show Happy Days. But you know what? We need to add this character. Uh, <laughs> oh, Pinky Tuscadero, I think was her name. It's like you had the Fonz, but then you had to add a female version of the Fonz. And, and I believe it was Pinky Tuscadero that they added to Happy Days. I know I'm dating myself, 
uh, <laughs> to a lot of you. But, but a, a television show, well, hey, you know, it's, it's going well for three or four years, and they say, hey, we need a new spark. We need to add something else to the script. And so there are many of you that are saying, like, the NFL, we need to add something else to the script. Let's add Taylor Swift. What could be better than adding Taylor Swift to the NFL? And you know what? We want Taylor Swift in the season finale, the dramatic season finale episode of the NFL season. Because, oh my God, she has been phenomenal for ratings, phenomenal for uh, making women interested in the National Football League. She's been great for football. She, w w when Taylor Swift wears some sort of shirt, carries some kind of purse, wears some sort of jacket, changes her hairstyle, young women go out and buy the shirt, buy the purse, buy the jacket, change their hairstyle. She's a, she's a powerful brand influencer and spokesperson and salesperson. And so the NFL said, you know what? We'd like to add Taylor Swift to the script. I do, I'm not arguing that any of these games, I'm standing on what I've said earlier in the week. I'm not saying these games have been fixed. But what I am saying today, after just thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it, is like they did want her in the season finale of uh, season 58 of the Super Bowl. And so she's here now. And the Baltimore Ravens had been, I thought, a great team and clearly the best team in the National Football League this season had been blowing out everybody. And then they just wet the bed, go away from the running game that brought them there, play this really, really stupid game plan and get beat by the Chiefs on a day when the Chiefs really don't play a great game? I, I, I'm not arguing the game was fixed. I'm not arguing that anything was done to manipulate that game. What I am saying is I don't think the people that are arguing the other side of that can be called crazy. Too much money has been injected into sports. Too much gambling money has been injected into all of sports. You cannot have all of this where gambling, these gambling companies are starting to rival the television networks in terms of importance to the financial bottom line of all of these sports leagues. And now the gambling companies have basically taken control of the American sports media. Everybody lives for the day that they can say, my sports show brought to you by DraftKings or one of these gambling organizations. Everybody. And so when all of the sports media are sitting there, oh man, one day I hope I'm uh, owned by or sponsored by one of these gambling companies, do you think they're gonna have an honest conversation 
about gambling's influence on professional or college sports, or they're all professional now, just even high school, it's all professionalized now. You think they're going to have an honest conversation about gambling's influence on sports? No, they can't. And when you start really evaluating sports as just another TV show, Installing, and I know <laughs> some, I'm going to hit some of y'all's funny bones, but maybe not. Maybe you get it where, why I'm arguing this or why I'm saying this. But if uh, it's all scripted or it's just a television show, why wouldn't you hire an actor to be the top sports pundit in all of sports? Why wouldn't you install a Stephen A. Smith, someone who knows virtually nothing about sports. Why wouldn't you make him the top guy? Why wouldn't you make someone who plays really loose with the truth, who has, who doesn't care about the truth? Why wouldn't you install that person as the top person talking about sports? I've seen this in my lifetime where, you know, if you go back to the 70s and 80s, you had to be a legitimate journalist with some integrity to rise up in the sports media industry. You had to be somewhat attached to the truth. And now that we're in this post-truth America, and now that we're in this everything is scripted America, they put out pretend journalists who are actors on soap operas and they install them as the top sports pundit, as the top sports media person. It's all connected. It's just a television show. You, you need people who can sell the script and are completely disconnected from the truth. It's a fascinating conversation that I, I, I think we need to have, and it's gonna be a continuing conversation on this show, regardless of who sponsors this show. Uh, I'm glad Prize Picks is with us. Thank you very much. But we're going to have an honest conversation about what's really influencing sports. And sports are really, really under the influence of gambling. Just how far that goes, we'll discuss that today with Steve Kim. Uh, we'll discuss it with Jacob the Clipper. Uh, then we'll talk with our two Hall of Fame football players, Warren Sapp and Brett Favre. And that'll be our show. All right, uh, before we move on to uh, Steve Kim, I want to talk to you guys about uh, Preborn. Last year, because of you, Preborn's Network of Clinics saw over 58,000 babies saved. Thank you to all who made this possible. Let's celebrate these precious babies. When Antoinette found out she was pregnant, she was in a bad place. She didn't know how she could raise her child on her own. She searched for an abortion clinic, and God led her to a preborn clinic where she met her baby on ultrasound. When she saw her baby and heard the heartbeat, she broke down crying and the nurse reminded her that babies are blessings from God. She chose life. Her daughter's name is Treasure because she is a gift from God. Here's another story. Daisy and her husband had decided they never wanted kids. When she found out she was pregnant, she immediately thought abortion. But after she and her husband met her baby on ultrasound and the heartbeat, their hearts melted and they chose life. Her baby is Jeffrey, healthy and beautiful. Daisy and her husband can't even imagine life without him. Because of these babies, 
are truly miraculous and Everyday Preborn celebrates 200 miracles, $28 a month can be the difference between life and death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection that doubles a baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. Or go to preborn.com slash fearless. That's preborn.com slash fearless. All right. Steve Kim, next. All right, welcome back. Uh, time for the Korean Cosell. Uh, Steve Kim, I need you to uh, help me understand what's going on in the sports world and gambling's influence on the sports world. A lot of people talking about, hey, Taylor Swift and the NFL wants Taylor Swift in the Super Bowl and blah, blah. And, and my initial thought is, hey, that's crazy. And then the more I think about it, and I think about Tim Donahue, and then I think about LeBron James just signed a deal with DraftKings. And so what's, what's your thoughts on the ability or the people that think uh, pro sports leagues are rigged? You know, there's a lot to be said about that. I, I don't know if I completely subscribe to it, but this, this much is clear. Gambling and fantasy sports, which are often connected at the hip and are really the same thing, are probably the only things keeping certain people or the masses from watching the games on a regular basis. I think you even admitted that, that if you don't have a few bucks, a few shekels or ones or yens on a ball game on a Sunday afternoon, Jason, you may not watch the National Football League anymore, right? And look, if you said, Steve, we're going to point a gun to your head, but here's a million dollars that you have to play to watch and play NBA fantasy leagues, guess what? My interest would probably peak a little bit, and I'd start to watch more of the games depending on the rosters that I have, and there would be an interest. So there used to be a time not too long ago, Jason, where sports and gambling was the great marriage that was taboo. Well, now look at now. We have, we have player sponsors, and really we should have known this. When Las Vegas is now starting to get professional sports franchises, Jason, um, not, not to be punny, but all bets are now off in that regard. So – Hadley raised this up this morning, or someone did this morning when we were talking about this topic, of like, just think, gambling was so reviled in sports. Wasn't it Paul Horning that got yeah. suspended in the NFL, a former all-time great running back for the Green Bay Packers? Pete Rose has been banished from baseball forever. For his involvement in gambling, and, and, and so we went from like it was the gambling is the worst thing in sports, and we got to keep them separated in no way. To now, the biggest sports star in all of America is a pitch man, and it will now be making picks for DraftKings <laughs> on NFL games. It, it, it just 
it's a recipe for major corruption. Know that that I, I'm telling you, the people that are sitting around and send me emails and complain to me is like, Jason, I can't believe these games are fixed. These games are. I can't just call them crazy conspiracy theorists anymore. It's not that I agree with them, but they have a right to that belief based off of the way things have changed. Well, in addition to Paul Horning, I believe that same year, Alex Karras of the Detroit Lions, who to me will always be the father of Webster, okay, because I'm not that old, uh, he was suspended that same year for one season. And right around that time, about five, six years later, I believe Joe Namath had an interest in a bar in New York. And if I recall correctly, Pete Rosell said, you got to get out of that or you're going to be suspended because why? Not because he was gambling, because known gamblers would have a drink there and they didn't like the whole association. But when people say are sports fixed, I get this a lot in boxing, obviously. But Jason, they have been fixed. You had the Black Sox scandal. You had the college basketball scandal. Uh, I think in the 50s at Madison Square Garden. Arizona State, I remember in the 90s, Stevin Headache Smith. I remember watching him play a lot of games. He was implicated. And here we thought the whole time we just thought he had an inconsistent jump shot. Who would have known? Then you had Tulane had a point-shaving scandal in basketball in the 80s. Boston College had one. So now look at it. what's happening now. Jamison Williams, who should be a really good player for Detroit, he was suspended the first six games this year. Why? Because alongside a lot, of, a lot of other athletes, he was gambling online. And then you had Keyshawn Layer bet Butte. He was just running a flat-out, almost a tout service, it seemed like, and his career is ruined. So, so the lines have been completely blurred. But, yeah, when you bring up the name Tim Donahue, I have a hard time saying, no, 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 all these games are on the up and up. Uh, everything is fair. I mean, look, as a Laker fan, I'll be the first to admit it. That game six of the Western Conference Finals against the Sacramento Kings in 2002, just watch that game again, Jason, and tell me, I'm not saying there was a gambling angle, but there's no doubt in my view the NBA said, hey, we're going to game seven here. We're not getting the Lakers knocked off at home. Steve, that series is a black eye for the NBA. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's a tiny or just some sort of the role. And, and I'll make a, a, a boxing analogy here that, that, like, because people understood that boxing matches were fixed, it, it diminished the importance of boxing. Boxing still a somewhat popular sport, but it's not what it used to be. And I mean, it, it, it used to be right there with baseball as the most important sports in, in America. But once you can't trust the integrity of a sport, I think interest diminishes. And, and I think that's why the NFL is in such a hurry uh, to replace expert football fans with casual football fans. That's what the Taylor Swift thing is all about, because I, I think many of us, you know, we look at the football product and go, well, this this isn't nearly as good. And then now there's all this conversation about, like, is it even on the up and up? And so if, if that narrative continues, I, I think you're going to see more and more people, more and more hardcore fans uh, leave the game. And it's all going to be just casual fans. And I don't think they care. And, and the reason why they don't care is because 
none of these sports are rely. They're not on. They're not relying on hardcore fans to buy tickets and to buy jerseys anymore. The gambling companies, the television networks, the online stuff floods so much money in that the fan just doesn't matter anymore. No, it doesn't matter as much as it did. Um, but going back to the association of the National Football League and how they used to really look down on gambling and would penalize it. I remember as a kid, Art Schleister was the star quarterback at Ohio State. I think he led them to the Rose Bowl in 1979. He was like a top five or ten pick of the Colts. So he was going to be this great star. Why was his career curtailed? Gambling. And there was almost like no going back from it. And I just find it amazing now that athletes are allowed to be endorsers for these betting companies. And there's so much information that is being shared. I mean, look, let's go all the way to college baseball. I believe there was a baseball coach at the University of Alabama that had inside information about his own staff. And he was calling in bets. So it, so it would be incredibly naive to think, I mean, honestly, um, to think he's the only guy. He's the only guy doing it. Really? Are you sure? And now you can set up different passwords. Um, there's the anonymity of the Internet and your own phone. You could set up, you know, like Steve Kim can become um, uh, James Johnson, Miami, 84. And that's my screen name. How are you really going to know unless you do a deep dive into this? So, yeah, I, that's why with sports, to me, it's just content now, Jason. I don't take it nearly as seriously as I do. I, I look at sports now as something that happens. If something funny happens, I could joke about it. It's a funny tweet. I could write a story on it. That's why, like, especially like with boxing, I honestly don't care about what happens. long as something happens, give me the ingredients. I'll cook up a meal. And as long as this keeps me from having to get a real job, just keep letting the fights and the games happen so I could talk about it. That's the importance of sports. That's why I never gamble. I think gambling ruins your viewing pleasure. Just let something happen and let me speak upon it. Clarify. I mean, I think it's a great point, but I want you to expound on your, hey, it's just content. Is that the <laughs> same thing I'm arguing when I say, hey, man, the NFL is just a television show. It's yeah, just it the Cosby show. It's just right. there for three hours worth of TV content. And if they have to play funny games with the script, why not? Right. I mean, I don't look. It's different for me because I really don't have a favorite team in the National Football League. Once the Rams moved after the 94 season, they died to me. They they I don't have an I don't really have an official NFL team. So I can just watch all the games, make notes. Hey, this was funny. This was good. Hey, I like that player. Or I didn't like that decision. So now as someone that's a pundit or a talking head, I, we need stuff to happen. I mean, honestly, like, Jason, let me give you an example in my role as a boxing reporter. There's no big fights on this week. So for my second column, a couple days ago, I'm thinking, ah, oh, geez, I have nothing to write about. Like, what am I going to do here? But I got to write something on deadline for K9's Corner on Snack.com. Well, thankfully, it was reported that Canelo Alvarez has made, it's being reported that he's going to fight these two guys instead of these two guys, and everyone's up in arms. Me, I'm just lucky there's Saul Alvarez to talk about because you know why? It drives up traffic. Good. That helps me. So I don't get all emotionally attached the way I once did because it really, in the big picture, doesn't matter that much.
They, I think, and, and I don't want to, because this is pure speculation on my part, but, but your argument sounds like one that I think someone like Colin Cowherd would make. I think it's a smart point. I think it's a defensible point. And it, it, it's like, hey, man, as long as they're giving us great content to talk about and discuss, and you can make a living talking about, discussing, writing about that content, take your emotions out of it and 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 perhaps perhaps just who it is it's just a television show it's a fascinating point that you're making and i was like man this i'm the i'm going to start calling you the the korean colin cowherd oh, but it reminds me of the kind of a point that cowherd would make and again I, and and i put note there's nothing negative about what i'm saying it's just Something that gives me pause and makes me think and, and makes me think about like why, because I'm such a hardcore journalist, I'm not the right fit for corporate media at this point and uh, time. Because, again, I am trying to explore the larger, more important aspects of what sports represent, whereas some people are just like, just give me the content. I'll tell you what's fun, what's interesting about it. And and that's that, and and you know I, I gotta admit you're you're, I can't say I'm ever going to get there, but it, it's part of my point is why Stephen A's fraudulence, Stephen A. Smith's fraudulence as a his narrative his background, it really is unimportant to these guys. He he's just another actor in a popular television show called the NBA and the NFL. Right. But even with that said, though, even with my attitude towards sports and sports entertainment, we have an obligation to be fair and accurate. That does not give me the license because I don't care about who wins or loses uh, like I once did to just say things recklessly or things that are inaccurate or irresponsible. Like I thought for Stephen A to praise Embiid for his 70-whatever-point game, but ripped the white guy, the doughy white guy, I said, ah, you're not even smart enough to be self-aware of your own hypocrisy and your double standards. And it also gave a window into his own thought process. Um, so that that's just kind of the way I look at it. I'm just telling you, every event that I cover or watch, whether it's as a fan or as someone that actually covers the event, I always say to myself, hey, I am a cook or a chef. Just give me some ingredients. It can be good ingredients, the bad ingredients. It can be fresh, rotten, whatever. I will cook a meal with it. But I just need these events to go off, and I can do my job. I, I, I want to end by bringing Eric Bieniemy into this conversation, because, and I wasn't planning on doing it this way, but now I am. It's like the NFL, to me, has agreed to tolerate the narrative that NFL owners are racist. Because <laughs> I, I, literally, I think the NFL ownership, Roger Goodell and the league said, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll let that narrative go. It's good content for our television partners and it drives a lot of social media content and conflict. And, and Because I can remember when I was at Fox Sports, I was making the argument that what the NFL has done by partnering with ESPN, I was arguing five, seven years ago, like, hey, uh, the NFL should start defending itself 
through the NFL Network and NFL.com and hire journalists who will argue and present the truth, the other side of the argument, because anytime I'd have a conversation with NFL players about, well, okay, name me these NFL owners that, that are racist and tell me about your owner. And, and when it, whenever it, it, it would get down to their owner and they'd have, I'd force them to start saying, well, how did he treat you? And how did he treat his teammates? And they'd all be telling these stories about these incredible things that ownership did for them when their family was in need or when some emergency happened or just blah, blah, blah. And I was gonna say, why are y'all so comfortable pretending like these guys are a group of racists when your personal interaction with them says the otherwise, but I, 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 I bring that all around to Eric Bieniemy because it's such an obvious example that Eric Bieniemy is not qualified to be a head coach. The, the, the Washington Commanders just hired Dan Quinn as their head coach. They had Eric Bieniemy in their organization for an entire year. And for five years, everybody, oh, how come Eric Bieniemy can't get a job? It's racism, it's racism, it's racism. Now the Washington Commanders won't hire him. Three or four black coaches got hired this hiring cycle. Eric Bieniemy isn't one of them. None of these people are going to walk back all these screams of racism as it related to Eric Bieniemy when it's just clearly obvious the guy's not a head coach. Well, I'll say this: <laughs> the Redskins hiring a white guy over Eric Bieniemy, boy, this is a hell of a way to start off Black History Month, huh? In 2024. <laughs> To, to your point, to rewind a little, to, to, to say that, hey, maybe get some of these NFL journalists at their own uh, media entities to defend the league. Here's the problem. They're already infested with Jim Trotters. That, that was part of the problem. You already had those guys embedded there. So that's too late. The other thing is, even if some of these reporters and journalists felt the way you did or was in lockstep with that thought process, these guys are afraid to express it because they don't want to get tweeted at, hey, you're racist. Or you're a coon. You're an Uncle Tom. They don't want that. Honestly, they're not fearless. A lot of them are gutless. That is the truth. Now, as it relates to Eric Public Bienemy, early on in the season, there were flashes that the offense was doing pretty well. Sam Howell actually accumulated some good stats. And then you could kind of see the agenda building. They made sure to push Eric Bienemy. But as they came back down to earth, kind of funny. I didn't hear his name for the last two and a half months, Jason. And here's the funny thing. Andy Reid's back in the Super Bowl, huh? That portly white guy? Huh. Funny how that works. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. It's very funny. And at some point, I want to play a compilation. Maybe some of our audience can help us out. Send me clips of all these people, like a year ago, a year and a half ago, that we're screaming up and down. I've, I've had our guys trying to hunt this stuff down, screaming up and down about how racist it was that Eric Bieniemy didn't get a job and blah. Three or four black coaches this year, the Washington Commanders had every opportunity to evaluate Eric Bieniemy. No one's saying a word now. We, we, this whole hiring cycle, no one was saying, oh boy, Eric Bieniemy's gotta get a job or it's racist. It, it just, it's a script that it, it and Steve, I'll let you go. Uh, appreciate you, and I'll I'll see you next week. But it, it's just a script. It's just a narrative. This is this stuff is all just a television show 
that these guys have agreed to. And, and so I'm not going to feel sorry for the owners or any of that because they've clearly agreed to the script or they do something about it. All right, uh, we're going to bring on uh, Jacob, the Clipper. You guys should follow him on Twitter. He tweets out some interesting stuff about the NBA. He's got some thoughts about the whole gambling thing as well. Uh, we'll, we'll hear from Jacob, the Clipper. And I, I can't pronounce Jacob's last name right now. Mkhitaryan might be it, but don't hold me to that. Uh, <laughs> we're going to ask Jacob next. All right, welcome back. Uh, so last week, uh, we were talking about the NBA and the lack of fundamentals and you know why everybody's scoring so many points and the lack of competitiveness. And I used three clips uh, that I found on Jacob the Clippers' Twitter feed. And, and Jacob tweeted out after the show, hey, man, give me credit, give me credit. And, and I don't blame him. Uh, I, at the time when I saw the clips, I wasn't... I wasn't taking notes that like all three of these came from Jacob, but I was like, but Jacob, I'll do more than give you credit. I'll bring you on the show. I love anybody that's hunting down good content and uh, making it easier uh, for me and our team. And so I was like, Jacob, if you can talk NBA and help us talk NBA, who knows? Maybe I'll bring you on more than once. So uh, Jacob the Clipper, and I'm calling you Jacob the Clipper because I'm afraid to pronounce your last name. Is it Mkhitaryan? That's that's pretty close, Jason. It's Mkhitaryan. We have a letter in the Armenian language that doesn't exist in English. It's Kh. Can you make that sound? Kh. It's like the back of your throat. Mkhitaryan? Say it again. Close enough. Mkhitaryan. <laughs> it's okay. Mkhitaryan is really close. That's really close. Yeah. Mkhitaryan. <laughs> there's a famous, yeah. there's well, a famous we're gonna call you Jacob the Clipper. Name. Sounds good. Yeah. It's a we're lot gonna easier. call you Jake, Jacob the Clipper. Uh, and so. One of the things or one of the number of things that got me thinking about uh, this whole gambling thing and its influence on professional sports, I saw a clip you posted of Gilbert Arenas from his podcast uh, talking about games being potentially influenced. Let's play the clip. Close out game is the hardest game in your life. And they be like, why? And I can't say. Say. (laughs) Can't say. I can't say, but I Shit, no, nah, I'll tell it. <laughs> Go ahead. I remember we were about to play game seven, uh, 2012. So we were about to play the Celtics or whatever. Game seven. So I'm hype as hell. I'm like, yeah, bro, we got a game seven. Like, we're out the bam. Like, this is going to be lit. So Eldon's like, you know we're going to have to win by 15 just to win by one. Mm. So I'm like, what you mean? He's like, bro. This is the NBA, it's entertainment. You got to win by 15 because you have they to win by so, one. You nope. have to be up so much that... Don't affect it. LeBron is in a heat or waiting. Would you rather watch the Celtics or the Sixers play the heat? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm on the team. I wouldn't even watch (laughs) the Sixers play the heat type (laughs) shit. Like, like, would you watch that game next week if it was a heat versus the Sixers? I'm like, nah. And and he's just like, they're well aware of the storyline. It's not like nothing. Like, it's a consumer base. Like, I understand everything. Like, we, we, we all love it. But, like, when you sit there, it's just real shit to know. So that's a group of NBA players. I, I recognize Gilbert Arenas. Who was doing most of the talk? That was not Elton Brand doing most of the talking, was it? No, it's it's Evan Turner. He was a teammate of Elton Brand on the Sixers. Evan Sixer. Turner, yeah. yeah. And then the yeah, guy Evan Turner played at Ohio State. 
Yep. I'm sorry. Andre, who was the other guy? Andre Iguodala was the guy next to him. He played on the Warriors, won the Finals MVP. Oh, obviously. Once. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty legit so, guys talking about it. Yeah, those are guys with real resumes. Gilbert Arenas, Andre Iguodala, Evan Turner played in a lot of important games. It's And it's mm-hmm. funny to hear them talking about this in such an open way and saying it's like it's an open secret in the NBA. What is, mm-hmm. Jacob, what is your take on, because I've been following your tweets, and it seems like you think NBA games are heavily influenced and or fixed. So my take is I grew up actually, in, I was born in LA, then I grew up in Sacramento, like during my elementary years. So I remember a vivid memory of me crying when the Kings lost to the Lakers in 2002 and my mom walks in my what's wrong? And I remember that game six, I don't know if you've seen Tim Donovan's uh, documentary on Netflix. Um, he, he literally went to jail for fixing games or being involved in fixing games. And so, yeah, there you go. You have it right there. And so when I heard Evan Turner talking about it, I was like, wow, like I knew this, this could have happened or it did happen back in the day, but I didn't realize it was happening in the, in the 2010s because Evan Turner played in the 2010s. And the fact that Elton Brand, a veteran in the NBA, was telling him, hey, we have to beat this team by 15 just to win by one. It, it made me really sad because as a fan of the NBA, I was like, man, if this is actually true, then like I'm watching it, entertainment. It's not an actual fair sporting event. And so, yeah, I hold to the fact that some some games the NBA will try to fix to try to boost whatever team that they want to boost. Um, I feel like the teams like the Lakers are always boosted. And we've been having a lot of talks and you saw the Toronto coach. Toronto coach came out and said, hey, if, if, if the game is going to be rigged, just let us know. We just won't show up. And you've been hearing a lot of talk like that, and they were facing the Lakers. So uh, I do think the NBA, if they can change the outcome of a game, they'll try to at times. Let's go, e- let's go even bigger picture, Jacob, because this is part of – I'm seeing a lot of content creators like yourself. Uh, there's a guy, Scap Attack. Uh, you guys are pretty aggressive going after LeBron James and putting together videos – and, and different conversations that are being had about LeBron James. And, and I want to, you're much younger than me, but uh, probably my best friend who's a sports legend now that Jim Brown has passed is Isaiah Thomas. And Isaiah mm-hmm. Thomas has said for years that the Detroit Pistons were messing up the script that the NBA had for Michael Jordan. And, and they felt like in the 80s, that in order for them to beat Michael Jordan and the Pist- uh, for the Pistons to beat the Jordan and the Bulls, they had to go above and beyond the call of duty, and they were messing up David Stern's big plans. And so I, I think that's – there's two things I think I see going on with, with a lot of guys that relates to LeBron James content. There seems to be a lot of – Kobe Bryant is better than LeBron James, and people want to correct – and make sure that narrative gains traction. And then people are saying like, nah, LeBron James has been favored and the game has been uh, manipulated in a way to drive the LeBron James narrative that he's actually the greatest player in NBA history. Uh, your, your thoughts on any of that? So as a Clipper fan with my friends, all my friends, I grew, I'm in LA right now and I've been in LA since I was 11. and. Um, all my friends are huge diehard Kobe fans, so I've always debated against my friends 
telling them, no, Kobe's not as great as you guys say he is. They've, a lot of my friends think Kobe's the greatest of all time. And I've always told them, no, it's MJ. It's very clear it's MJ. So now I've actually kind of changed my views a little bit because um, I'm a huge fan of Kobe's mindset and his work ethic and the way he viewed the game. Now that I've, now what the league has turned into. So the way I, I've been posting a lot of content about how, hey, Kobe actually was obsessive towards the game. He loved the game and he would do anything to be out there and to play. And there was an interview, um, you'll probably show it later, where Kobe talks about how he he actually laughs when he's asked about load management. And he's like, I don't know what that is. Like, I would never do that to the fans. And that I really appreciate that because it, the NBA has turned into so many like players sitting out games that they can play and um, it's just disappointing as a fan when you when you go to a game. I went to the Clippers Laker game. LeBron sat out. He had an ankle injury, and he's just standing around, walking around without a limp. And I'm like, man, I would have appreciated if he showed up and he played, you know. Um, but my take on the LeBron and Kobe debate is, I would appreciate if LeBron had Kobe's mindset. But I can't deny LeBron's basketball skills, and I can't deny his the work, the what he's what he's done in this league. So I, even though I prefer Kobe's mindset and work ethic and his love for the game over what LeBron has um i can't deny lebron's greatness on the court so he's in my top three easy lebron and i think kobe's in my top 10. Mm. uh so you got mj number one mj who's number two so i would like to say lebron just because of his longevity and everything he's done um but i'm always I got to respect Kareem. I got to respect Wilt. I have to respect Magic Johnson. So those are usually my top five. I don't really have an order, um, but Mike is one. Jordan is, I mean, uh, Kobe's in the top 10, and he's the mindset-wise, work ethic-wise, and skill-wise, I think uh, Kobe's similar to Jordan. But LeBron's sheer size, athleticism, I mean, you've never had a guy at his size running the court like he runs the court, and you've never had a guy at 39 do what he's doing at 39. And, uh, so you got to give him credit for that. You do, but where I, it, it's no different than, I'm never going to discredit Tom Brady because of the number of championships. You, you just cannot do it. But football has been made easier, and so there's a reason why he was able to play to 43, 44 years old, because you can't touch the quarterback. I look at LeBron James. If he had to play during the 80s, when you could have the Jordan rules and you could take people down and, and they didn't make it so anybody could walk through the paint and get to the rim as easy as you can now, where, where you know, big guys used to contest. There would be a Bill Cartwright waiting on LeBron James, and, and now you can't. Uh, and so I, I just feel like degree of difficulty has been diminished. And so I, I just I – just, I think LeBron's great, I, I think, but I don't think in another era, I don't think he would have surpassed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the all-time leading scorer, and, and he'd probably have one or less, you know, one or two less championships, and he certainly would. What's he averaging, like 25, 26 points a game right now at, at 40 or whatever he is? That would not happen uh, in previous eras. He'd be too old, too beat up. It'd be too hard to get to the, to the rim, and there would be a price for going there that he's never had to pay his entire career. That's a good point, Jason. I mean, I, I think there's definitely that plays a factor, but you also got to give credit to LeBron. The guy's 
a superhuman. Have you seen him roll his ankle? He rolls his ankle like another player would be out a week or two, and he just walks it off. And I'm like, this this does, this is just doesn't make any sense. And I don't know if you know, he spends, according to reports, around like $2 million on just taking care of his body a year. So I don't think players they didn't have the medical. So let, let me let me let yeah. me stop you there, Jacob. This is why uh-huh. this is why you need old people like me. You know, uh, Isaiah Thomas and Magic John they didn't have two million dollars to blow on. You know, they're getting paid so much money now, and it, you know that, that that they can have their own doctors, they can have uh, chefs, they can have. Uh, personal trainers. They can have several personal trainers. They can get a massage every single day. The degree of, it's like technology. Like we don't, me and you, we don't got to go hunt. Like men used to have to go hunt if they wanted to eat. We can hop on our laptop and order DoorDash and we're good. And and so I'm not going to compare myself to the old guys. I'm not as tough as them. Uh, you know, I've been made weaker. And so I, I again, I'm, LeBron to me, is probably one of the top five, seven players in the league. And if someone puts him in their top three, I'm not going to complain. But you're talking about Jordan level, Kareem level, Magic's tough for me. I just can't go there. Guys, what's he lost? Seven NBA finals? Six, seven? Uh, well, I'm that's, not sure. That's an old but, uh, man. <laughs> Yeah, so my only take against Kareem is Kareem only has two finals MVPs, Jason. So um, LeBron, he's won finals MVP every time he's won a championship. So he has four. So, I mean, that that takes it. You got to take that into consideration. It's not just championships. Is were you the main guy for your championship? And Magic has one of his finals MVPs. I'm not sure who else has his finals MVPs, but it was it was more of a. Uh, 1A and 1B on that team. But LeBron, on all his championships, he was he was the guy. You know, So you got to give him credit for that. That's true. That's true. Jacob, great job. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll circle back. You're certainly a Clippers fan. Uh, I like the Clippers jersey. Uh, Always. Thank you. Appreciate it. Number, number 19 is Sam Cassell. No, number who Sam is that? Cassell. Sam, Sam Cassell. <laughs> Sam yeah, Sam's got a pair. My favorites. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jason, thanks for having Thank me. Thank you, Jacob. All right, that's Jacob the Clipper. Check him out on Twitter. Check him out uh, on also, I think he's on Instagram as well. Uh, don't go anywhere. We'll talk some football with Warren Sapp. Next. to this all week. Warren Sapp, the QB killer, the best man talking about the NFL anywhere in America. Warren, uh, what the hell happened to the Baltimore <laughs> Ravens? Why didn't they run the football? You know what? I was thinking that too, but all from preseason, when I saw him in preseason, when we went with the commanders over there to a dual practice and I watched them throw the ball around all practice, both practices, four practices in two days. It was just, and I'm like, and I talked to T. Martin. I'm like, yo, y'all, y'all looking for a 5,000-yard pass in Lamar? And he kind of looked at me funky. And 
we saw the, you know, the fruition of it in the playoff game. I mean, he went head to head with the greatest passer we've seen throw the ball ever in the history of this game. And he had more yards and the same amount of touchdowns, but Zay Flowers. I, I just got to put an explanation on Zay Flowers. When you're talking about the the penalties and the fumble, that's the game. That's the game. I mean, you, come on. He didn't have, he didn't have to t- reach out right there. Sneeze the only one that's trying to make the tackle. The other two are about to watch him go in. So the only thing he had to do was just secure the ball and go. Mind you, what, two plays before that, you just roll the guy off and spun the ball? Come on, man. That ain't, we used to do that in the mid-90s. <laughs> and then this is a busted play. It ain't like you even beat anybody. So you can't make the move to get the same guy. Sneed. Same guy. That ain't even something you do right there. Unsportsmanlike, you kill that from there, you move it back 15. Come on, man. NFL real estate is too valuable when we're talking about an AFC and NFC championship game. There's no next week. There's no we'll, we'll make it back up. No, it's it. And Zay Flowers over there done beat himself up and cut his hand. <laughs> Self-inflicted wounds so- are the worst of the football game. <laughs> So, if you were ranking who to blame, Zay Flowers is at the top of your list. Oh, at the top. At the top. At the top. Okay. Give me two and three. Munkin. Because the thing about the National Football League when you get to playoffs, and I've told you this, Willa, they shrink the field on you. They make you do what you don't want to do. But we look at the Baltimore Ravens. They don't have a 1,000-yard rusher. Lamar leaves them in rushing with 800 yards. They don't have a 1,000-yard passer. They don't do anything special except Lamar. So why wouldn't you put the game in his hand? So I go with Monken, and then I go to Lamar because that ball he threw in the triple coverage, come on. No, 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 no. Late, high, and over the middle. <laughs> the three cardinal sins as an as a NFL passer. Late, so, high, I, I think- and over the middle. I would probably go Munkin one and then Lamar and the rest of the players two. And and no, and, and they, I say they and have I was to come front center with Lock. Come on. That there's no way. There's no way. He had more yards than uh Kelsey, had three less catches, but had what? One more fumble. And two more personal fouls? Come on, man. Stop it. Stop it. You, 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 the field position here's, game here's, is too here's, important. Here's, Come on. Here's why I blame <laughs> the coaching staff. And I, I need to okay. put Munkin and Harbaugh together. It yes. is because I'm putting Munkin and Harbaugh together. But Because but, what they did was allow the players to get too emotional, too caught up, in disproving a negative instead of just proving a positive. And the, the negative is, man, y'all can't, with Lamar, y'all can't beat us with your arm. The positive is, we got the best running team in football. Let me just go out and prove that. I don't need to disprove that Lamar can't throw the ball. And so I think the players, okay. too emotional, caught up in the Lamar narrative and wanting to prove it, because everybody loves Lamar. And it was up to the coaches to say, you know what, we're we not getting caught up in that. D- d- don't get caught up in trying to prove anything to anybody. We're going to do what we do. 
and we're going to run it down their throat because you can run on that Chiefs defense. Yes, and, you can. And we're at home, and we're going to let our defense take – because defense shut them out in the second half. All they had to score was 18 points, 20 points, three touchdowns, whatever, six field goals, and they could have won that game because their defense <laughs> is that good. And so, the, the, to me, Zay Flowers, Lamar Jackson – No, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. You just said something I can't let go by. You just said – you're gonna put Munkin and uh Harbaugh together, correct? Harbaugh. Well let's throw the yeah. let's throw the defensive coordinator in there too. Because the last time I checked in the National Football League, one man's not holding Kelsey. I don't give a damn what all pro team he made and, and what he looked like on tape and he hadn't given up a touchdown to an opposing tight end all year long. Who the hell were these tight ends? He damn sure wasn't Travis Kelsey. And when your primary receiver is open 11 out of 11 times that Pat Mahomes is going to throw it to him, you're in trouble. You can't go 8 for 17 on third down with a great defense. That's a lie. And then, my man Clowney, you've been playing excellent. You almost reminded us that you were a number one pick. And you decide to lower your head and hit the half a billion dollar quarterback under the chin? Come on, stop it. The penalties, the coaching, bad, I, I agree with you. I agree. But when you saw when they got uh, down a little bit, everything was a deep route, too. I mean, I'm like, why are they panic. going? They panicked. They're trying They panic. They're trying to prove they got caught up. You know, for, you racial idolaters that want to prove Patrick Mahomes is the first black quarterback. He got caught up in it. But I want to go back to Travis Kelsey, your point about Travis Kelsey, because I disagree with you in this sense. No, because of Taylor Swift, no one is talking about Travis Kelsey may have had the greatest game for a tight end in a game of that level. This dude makes circus catches in traffic with great coverage. That's one of the great games, and no one's talking about it. <laughs> Travis Kelsey was the MVP of that game. You go 11 for 11 throwing to one guy, and he's covered most of those times, and he's making these circus catches. That dude showed up, and no one's talking about it because everybody's talking about Taylor Swift. He wasn't covered, though. You know, the game of inches in the National Football League, you have to take him away. You mean to tell me that was your plan, Baltimore, to line up Hamilton on him, 14 versus 87, with the greatest throw of the ball? It's not going to work. The man passed 17 points, and you saying it didn't work? 17 points, Sap. Hey, if you Andy Reid— 17 hey, points, hey, let's get to and the you field lost goal. the turnover Let's get to the field goal thing. Hey, hey, Andy should have kicked the field goal and made it 20. I don't know why they these lost NFL the coaches are getting caught up. Baltimore lost the turnover battle and still only gave up 17 points, Sap. By one. Say what? Oh, no, more than that. Yeah, the interception and the fumble. So two? Yeah. That's not much. Yeah. It's not much. Stop it. They got stats on that. You win the turnover battle by two, you almost guaranteed a victory. I bet you your percentage no, is like, around eight. Think of like 40%. Think of like 40. Every time you do it, it, it takes 30 off. It's 70, then it's, yeah, then it's, then it's 40. Yeah. Trust me, take 30 off. I, I've been there, done that, baby. Come on now, don't do that. Don't do that. But Zay Flowers going in is one of those turnovers. And that's seven. And they lost by seven. 
So come on. <laughs> Zay Flowers is at the top of this. I, I, I cannot I cannot excuse him. The men on the field. I love all the X's and O's and the scheme and the, I, I, I draw it up and all of this. Come on. We make it come to life, baby. It's the Willies and Joes on the field. You can draw it up all you want, Munkin. You can draw it up all you want. Uh, my man out in San Francisco, Shanahan, with your daddy old plays and a wrinkle on it. Yeah, I told John Gruden this, son. It, 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 the Willies and Joes. You can draw it up, but if Willie and Joe ain't doing it, it don't come to life. Period. Uh, how, how bad of a hit is this for Lamar Jackson's reputation? <laughs> Legacy, it, it's gotta, it's gotta sting a little bit. No, yes. Oh yeah, definitely Looks stings. Looks like a chunk job to you me. You can see. Yeah. No, you can see the opportunities that were on the field, and that last ball is gonna hunt him because that's the three cardinal sins you cannot do as an NFL quarterback: throw the ball late, high, and over the middle. I mean, I, you beat. You outpass Patrick Mahomes, and if you take the interception away, you're talking about a hundred, hundred quarterback rating for both of them. I mean, he stood up to to the test. Nobody helped him. His offensive coordinator didn't help him. His offensive line didn't help him with the four sacks. I mean, George Kafalafis came around the corner like what nobody blocking. I mean, Moses, come on, son. I watched you in training camp. Ten get points. Into a little they scored ten here. points. They, they scored. This may have been Lamar's best shot for a Super Bowl. He clearly had the best team. Uh, that's a home be AFC championship here. game, yes. A home championship game, yes. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. I agree with you, and, bro. And I'm going to tell you the other I thing. You I'll tell you the other thing where I, I blame the coaches that no one's talking about. They didn't go to OBJ until late, and that looked like that was working. And why, why weren't they doing it earlier? I, I, I. I have no idea what their plan was other than to go deep because most of their plays were big plays. And then most of them were busted coverages. It wasn't even somebody, the design of the play, you know, got somebody free or anything like that. I mean, I saw no innovative things with one of the best offenses that you play 11 on 11 with. That's the one thing that makes Lamar so great is he makes you play 11 on 11 football and he can make the 11th man miss. And I didn't see anything in this game plan that say, here's what we're going to try to take advantage of. I didn't. Uh, what do you think about uh, our guy Dan Campbell? And <laughs> he seems to hate analytics, or he loves analytics. Where are you at on the analytics debate? What happened to just taking three points, putting that in your back pocket and using it the rest of the game? I, I, what's your I, take on this whole analytics craze? I want to know who the hell an analytics guy is. Is he the 25? 20, does he have a break on his car insurance yet? Is he 27? You know, does he have kids at home? You know, I don't want to talk no damn numbers unless you're one of them hedge fund managers that's a billion dollars. Because when we're talking about a football game, it's pretty easy. When we're talking about midway through the third quarter, you're inside the 30-yard line and you're up 14 points on the San Francisco 49ers? I go up three scores because there's only four possessions maybe left in the game. Let's go through it after he goes for this. And the guy he goes to on fourth down, just the first pass he's thrown to him all game. And then you see him on the sideline talking to the dude in the sweatshirt, talking about he should have been right here, but then it was over here. You do realize your teammates are behind you looking at you have this discussion. And they're saying, 
Your sorry ass, we shouldn't have never went to you. So now the defense is walking on the field and they're going, why we didn't kick that field goal, man? We'd have been up 17. I mean, and then you get out there and four plays later, flukes bounce off your guy's face mask. <laughs> and we go 17 to 24, 24 to 24, 27 to 24. That's the third possession. And now you're driving it again inside the 30. And you don't want to kick a field goal again to tie the game and stop the bleeding. Please, d- explain it to me, Jason, because I, I, I don't think I've ever screamed at a TV more that you know didn't have you know somebody that I loved involved in it. I, I, I Lynch was on the other side, and I love Lynch, but <laughs> holy smokes, I'm like, does Dan Campbell know the very definition of insanity? He's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, son. Come on. We love you biting knees. And then somebody hit me with this one. Oh, they were so successful during the regular season on fourth down. Okay. You know why you go for it on fourth down during the regular season? Because next week we got a chance to correct it. Next week we got a chance to change the divisional standings. You don't get that chance in an NFC championship game on the road. Trust me, I've been there on the road in Philly. We're going to take every point we can get. I'll share a story with you. The last game we lost in 2002, John Gruden took three points off the scoreboard against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday Night Football. I ran up to him, and I grabbed him. I said, what are you doing? He said, what? I said, you're messing with the football guards. And he said, F the football guards. And when we both looked at the field, Sean King was throwing an interception. I said, you see here and think about that. As I go out here and try to finish this game and win it, and he just took three points off the board, and we have this type of offense. We lost the game 17-14. It was the last game we lost that year. But sometimes you have to get these strong-headed men like Campbell and, you know, most of the coaches I had was that way. Sam Weish, you know, Lane Kiffin. <laughs> you know, Art was a little soft on, you know, what he believed in because he, he was a little different. You know, old linemen really don't, you know, have that kind of rah at you. But he was different. But Dungy, whew. You don't want to cross Dungy in no way, shape, or form. He, he's analyzing every nick and cranny. And he believes in the three points. So he goes up 27-10. He has a, a very good chance of winning that football game because now the defense goes on the field saying, we just got to get one stop. We got to get one stop. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's a fireable offense. In my, in my opinion, that's a fireable offense. I love Dan Campbell, but that's a fireable offense. Absolutely it is. Mm. They've never been to a Super Bowl. You about to take a bunch of cold folks out of Detroit, out of misery, and into the Super Bowl where there will only be three NFL franchises that haven't been to a Super Bowl. Kick the ball, man. Unbelievable. Uh, Cam Newton (laughs) has doubled down on Brock Purdy. Uh, the game manager deal, and now says that he's not, he's the 10th best player on the San Francisco 49ers. The guy just made it to the Super Bowl uh, in his second year as a starter, and he's, you know, Cam Newton is saying the 10th best player on the 49ers. Fair comment? I was going through the list, and I went, <laughs> Trent Williams. Debo, the Uke guy ain't there yet. You know what I'm saying? So CMC, Chris McCaffrey. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. In in the backfield, CMC, that's four. 
and then yeah. we go Greenlaw and Warner, and then Bosa. And so what? maybe He's Chase eight. Young. Chase Young? No, nah, you're not. You're not. You're not. Chase, Chase Young ain't got enough dirt underneath his nails to be talking about he's better than the quarterback that's leading him to the Super Bowl. No, let's not do that. I said I had him around seven. I got eight. seven. I'm in. That's yeah. why I say I got him around seventh to eighth. Cam, yeah. Cam is just big and ass. I don't know why, but he is. I, Brock Purdy did a milk check at the end of that game. Did you see it? <laughs> when he took off running <laughs> for that first down, good old milk check. But I don't know why Cam is so angry. And I, I'm under the impression, like Shaquille O'Neal, good old friend of mine from you know Orlando when he came in '93. We've been hanging ever since. If you wasn't that guy, let's not get on these podcasts and these different places talking like you was that guy. Cam, you you were a glorified running back, son. Only two running backs in the National Football League had more touchdowns than you running when you were in. And that was AP all day, Adrian Peterson, and Shady McCoy. You don't show up on any passing lists. No ratings, no touchdown to interception ratio, none of that. So stop it. Stop it. You had a good MVP. A great he year would he would year. argue no, MVP. No, great year one year. Great year one year. And you know what we tell you in the National Football League? You got lucky. Then the second year, you're working on it. The third year, now you're consistent about it. Hey, we're going to recognize you. Come on, man. Arian Foster had 1,616 yards and 16 touchdowns. You know where he's at now? <laughs> Offensive player of the year. Ain't that basically the same thing for, for a running back or a receiver? Same thing. So we've had people show up with, with a couple good years or one good year. Like, Cam, come on, man. Stop it. Stop it. I will say this, and, and I, I, mm -hmm. I don't even mean this as a diss, but I'm saying it authentically. I do think Cam <laughs> may turn out to be a better podcaster than quarterback, than uh, NFL quarterback. I'll agree with that. Great college quarterback. I'll agree with that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with this conversation over there. I, I find it quite entertaining at times. I, there's nothing wrong with that, you know? Some. Some people can be better off the field than they were on the field. That's simple. Uh, who wins the Super Bowl? Pat Mahomes is tough to go against him. I mean, as much as I want, but the battle I want to see is which one of these defensive ends for the San Francisco 49ers signs up for this ass whooping that Trent Williams gives out every Sunday. Because I watch Hutchinson you mean run Kansas from City. <laughs> Yeah, Kansas City. You mean yeah, Kansas yeah, City yeah, yeah, yeah. sign up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Chris. Is Big Chris going to go over there and visit him? Because George Kofalafis and I think number 90 just blew his knee out, didn't he, in the, in the championship game? The DM? Not, not sure. Yeah. Not sure, but that Trent Williams? Mm-mm. You can take that DN and throw him away. He he, he He's a non-factor today. So yeah, you like Kansas person. City, yeah. though? But I love Kansas City. You like City. Kansas City. Hey, man, Greenlaw yeah. and Warner, they do an excellent job in the pass game. You got to cover Travis Kelsey. And the best throw of the ball we've ever seen. So now who, you got to get pressure on him, right? The best turn into throw the of the ball we've ever seen. Zap, I, I, I can't go there. I can't, can't? go there. Not yet. Who you, who you going with? Who you going with? Uh, I mean... The best thrower of the football is Dan Marino. Dan Marino. Yep. Uh, I would figure you'd go there. Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah. Is Dan, Dan Marino. But and, you know, and, Dan. And then 
<laughs> you know Dan Marino's rule? Pick what? a guy and let it fly. <laughs> the, let me tell you, if I only, if I had a quarterback for one season and one season only, Ooh. I'm Ooh. taking Steve Young. I'm taking Steve Young. I only had to have August one. August 31st, and, 1997. What? The opening game of the 1997 what? season. There's a Sports Illustrated article, oh, even though that's one time for Sports Illustrated gone. They told Miami that we need to kill football. I guess we're a little bit more resistant than you thought there, magazine people. <laughs> yeah, Niner Nightmare. I think Steve Young, his return to Tampa was not a good day. <laughs> Best single season. Now, to me, again, John Elway is the greatest quarterback of all time. But I'm, I'm going to let you go, Sap. Pat Mahomes yeah, is the greatest is. throw of the ball we've ever seen. That boy there, man, come on. Come on, man. We got people going to do a no-look now just because he did it. I mean, just come on, brother. He's sweet with it, dog. Six straight AFC championship He's, games, four Super Bowls. I got to see and three, more. And, yeah. and, and four and six. Four and six? You got to see more? Yeah. They took Tariq Hill gotta, away from him yeah. and, told him, and told him he was nothing. <laughs> Great luck. Hey, man. That's a great that man luck. Turned, that man turned Patrick Scantley into a receiver. That man turned Rice into a household name. We asking, is that Jerry Rice, son? No, he's still at USC, people. <laughs> this kid's from SMU. <laughs> I mean, this he's introducing us to people like Peyton Manning used to. The Blair White Project up in, you know, Indianapolis. I mean, when you're a great quarterback, you introduce us to people. We didn't know who Julian Edelman was until Tom Brady introduced it to him. We know who Troy Brown was until Tom Brady introduced it to him. When you're a great thrower of the ball, you introduce us to people, and Pat Mahomes is doing it in a big way, baby. Thank you, Sap. Great job, as always. Uh, we're going to hear from our Hall of Fame quarterback, Brett Favre, next. Let's roll out to Mississippi, bring in the fun slinger, Brett Favre. Brett, uh, I'm going to get right to it. I'm watching the Baltimore Ravens and the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm rooting for the Chiefs. I think the Ravens are going to win in a blowout. And the entire game, I'm like, hey, why isn't Baltimore running the football? This is one of the great running teams of all time. Help me understand how that happens to a football team. How, how do they go so far away from their identity and forget what got them there in the biggest moment? I think it was a scheme that they were facing. I think Steve Spagnola, I, first of all, I think he's a great coach. He's a hell of a defensive coordinator. And his scheme uh, was one that really put the pressure on Lamar to throw the ball. Uh, they had spies for Lamar. Uh, you know, they were ready for his scrambling and, and uh, playmaking abilities with his legs, and they were not going to be beat by his legs. Got that, but they got a running back, Gus Edwards, who only had three carries. 
Uh, they got – I can't – I'm slipping my mind of the other running back, but they – this is a running team, not just Lamar Jackson. It, they run the ball. They have a physical offensive line. They couldn't have handed it to a running back some of those times? Well, I think they could have. You know, in, in hindsight, it's always easy to to second guess, to question, whether it be uh, the, the coaches themselves uh, or the fans or just, uh, you know, general football enthusiasts. But I think the I think the game plan for the Chiefs worked to perfection. Offensively, they were okay. They didn't make mistakes. They controlled the clock. They controlled the ball. They had long, sustaining drives. Uh, which, while you're on the field, you're not allowing Baltimore to to score. So they did a good job of that. The front, uh, the front defensive line for the Chiefs. It's been outstanding all year long. I mean, they're a force to, to, to be reckoned with. And I think that their, uh, their linebackers in secondary played exceptionally well. Uh, the, you know, they, the, basically they dared the Baltimore Ravens to beat them passing. And, uh, you know, offensively it wasn't what we're used to with the Chiefs, but they played – their game plan to perfection. And that's all three phases. So, and I'm going to leave Baltimore alone, but I'm going to ask one more question about it just because it's, it's, and again, I'm rooting for the Chiefs. I'm glad Brett Veach and Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, they're going, you know, got a chance for their third Super Bowl. But I think that Lamar and the team, got caught up in disproving a negative rather than proving a positive. The negative is, well, I don't think you, I don't think you can beat us past them. And, and they wanted to disprove that. And I would have preferred them to have proved the positive. We're the most physical, dominant, running football team in the league this year. And, and, and I can just see I, – I wonder if any time during your career you, did you ever – try to prove your critics wrong rather than do what's best for Brett Favre and the Green Bay Packers? No, in regards to, to my career, uh, no. Uh, but I, I see what you're saying with Baltimore, and, and I, I, I can't say that I agree or disagree. I think that you make a valid point. Uh, you know, we talked about this last week. Uh, you mentioned – could this be one of the premier top teams in history? And I said, well, they got to get through Kansas City first. You have to win that game. Uh, and they didn't. All right, Brett, let's talk a little bit about the Green Bay Packers. And, and for me, if I'm Brett Favre, I look at what Andy Reid and uh, Patrick Mahomes are accomplishing. And, and again, this is me if I was Brett Favre. Uh, I'm much better looking than you, so I could never be you. But if I were you, uh, what I would be thinking is that, like, man, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, that looks just like Mike Holmgren and Brett Favre. And, man, if I could have played for Mike Holmgren all of my career, whole, and that's no shot at Mike McCarthy or anybody else, but it's like if I could have played for Mike Holmgren my whole career, 
what we might have accomplished. Does, does that ever run through your mind? All, all the time. I, I, I tell people, oh, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've said that exact uh, statement that you, you just mentioned. Had Mike, and you're right, nothing against Mike McCarthy, nothing against Mike Sherman. Um, we had a good thing going. And had Mike stayed, I, you, I mean, we don't have a crystal ball. And we can't go back. But I believe that we would have had many of many more opportunities uh, to win one. The, the and you know, I made this point to you, I think, on one of your trips here to Nashville, and I think it was something you hadn't considered. But if the Green Bay Packers had an owner, you probably would have played for Mike Holgren all your career. Because that's when ownership would step in and go, ah, we got something special. And I love Ron Wolf and all that, but we got to do everything in our power to keep Mike Holmgren. This coach-quarterback combination is just too good to let go. It, it, it's something I, I don't think you thought about much during your career, but I'm tell, not having an owner probably hurts you a little bit in Green Bay. Yeah, I, I'm sure over the history of the Packers, you could say that there's been times where not having an owner has been great and not having an owner has not been not so great. That, that may be one of those times very well be, could be right. Um, because the GM, I don't want to say has all the power, but has a great deal of power and Ron Wolf certainly deserved it. Um, but you're right, if it, an owner can easily step in, and of course the most famous one is Jerry Jones, who who does it quite often. Uh, but had the Packers had an owner, and he saw what you're talking about, that, that I mean, if you think about it, the head coach and the quarterback connection has won the Super Bowl so many times. And... Uh, you know, most recently, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, that combination has been deadly. Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid seem to be following in the same footsteps. So uh, I, I think you're, you're on to something right there. All right, so a lot of us over 50 hate analytics. I don't know where you stand on that, but uh... – Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions, to me, got bitten in the rear end by an over-reliance on these analytics to say, you got to go for it on fourth down. Don't take a field goal. Where, where do you come down on analytics and what do you come down on, you know, the decisions to go for it in that Detroit-San Francisco game? And, and you know, I know Detroit stayed in character, but, man, that, that character got him beat, I thought, on Sunday. Well... I think there's some good in the analytics. I, I think the first time I really was exposed to analytics was when I watched Moneyball. And uh, it, it made you think. It made you think. And certainly in football, there's a, there's a great deal of analytics. And uh, I know in game planning, there's, there's so much in regards to tendencies and and analytics and now we're seeing analytics play a part in 
do I go for it? Do I go for two? Do I, you know, the, the sheet says this, the sheet says that. I think what's getting lost to me, and it's just my opinion, is the gut, what it tells you. Sometimes that's, that's the best thing to go on. Analytics certainly has its place. But sometimes you go, I just don't feel it. And if you don't feel it, you probably shouldn't do it. Um, so, you know, I think there's a place for analytics, but I think that the, the, just the old-fashioned gut instinct uh, is and, – and, and as the head coach, you have to make that, that decision. Do you make it on analytics or do you make it on what your gut tells you? Uh, you know, when's the, when's the right time to use one or the other? Uh, I think that one may have caught caught him uh, the other day. What's your gut tell you about the Super Bowl and why? Who you riding with? Who's winning this Super Bowl, San Francisco or Kansas City? Well, I like both teams. I like Kyle Shanahan, I think, is one of the great young coaches in the league and has a, a, a bright offensive mind. The guys seem to play hard for him. Christian McCaffrey's playing outstanding. Fred Warner's an unbelievable uh, leader and, and middle linebacker. Uh, Nick Bosa is a is a train wreck waiting to happen. I mean, he's just relentless. Uh, and I, and I like him. I think John Lynch has done. You know, it's, I can't believe that I'm saying that he's probably as as good, if not better, as a uh, as a GM as he was as a player. What they've done there has been outstanding. I think the two best tight ends in football are going to match up against each other, um, and I love both those guys. I, you know, I think they're tremendous players. But I, I have to give the nod to Kansas City, and I said this earlier in the year, and I say it to people all the time: until they're knocked off the mountain, they're the kings, and they haven't done it as flashy and as pretty as they have in the past, but. Make no mistake about it. They're the leader in the clubhouse. And so until they're knocked out, they're still the leaders. And uh, the old Wiley coach and Andy is is super simple, but super creative and has a way of just masterminding wins. And so I, you know, I, I, I really like both teams. I like both head coaches, obviously. I think both teams have great players. Um, but I give the nod to the Chiefs. All right. Uh, I'm not going to ask you any more Taylor Swift questions because everybody's all fired up and talking about Taylor Swift. So I'm just going to let you go, Brett. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll see you next week. Or You know what? We may wait till after the Super Bowl. Yeah. The week after the Super Bowl. Uh, thank you, Brett. Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation, we all just want to have freedom.